0: And all coming back together and clearly the largest group we've ever had on a Christmas Eve. Praise God for His goodness. Um, We rejoice in Him. We turn to page 573 in the Pew Bible, or if you have your own Bible, and it's not on 573, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9. We've already uh, quoted a portion of this passage in our call to worship. And certainly have spoken of this eternal Son of God in our confession. So we read these first seven verses and speak a bit on this passage. Now you'll see it's called the land of Zebulun and Naphtali and then Later, uh, Galilee, that's the same place, okay? The uh, name for its general area of Galilee or the Lake uh, Sea of Galilee or uh, its tribe names, Zebulun and Naphtali. So maybe that'll help uh, help you not be confused by that terminology. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt... From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Thus the reading of God's word. Let us seek the Lord in prayer. O Lord, bless us with your spirit to enlighten our hearts to this word that you have given us through the Lord Jesus Christ. To you be honor, O great God. Amen. Now, in a particular house in the neighborhood, there was a bully uh, back before you were caught for being a bully, right? And for every kid, it was a dreaded house. You stayed away from that house. You've avoided it at all costs because nothing good ever comes out of that house. Well, that's what Galilee was like to Israel. Zebulun and Naphtali mentioned here make up the northeast chunk Of Israel, the outer edge of Israel, and you can say it was a frayed edge. ZNN were exposed to first attacks from Assyria. Galilee served as a bridge for Assyria to enter Israel. Galilee is where the battering ram of foreign invaders burst open the gate to the rest of Israel. The news from Zebulun and Naphtali was never good news. Also, ZNN was the gateway for pagan influences. This was the seepage point for uh, idolatry. And it was despised even in Christ's day. You catch the edges of this. John one forty six. can any good thing come out of Nazareth, which was in Galilee? Or John 7, surely the Messiah is not going to come out of Galilee, is he? You could just feel it. You've got to be kidding. This is a joke, isn't it? Galilee? How could it be that the Savior would come from there? Lowly Galilee, devastated by avalanches of enemy attacks, contaminated by the toxic waste of pagan worship, war torn. Pagan-worn Zebulun and Naphtali, Galilee was a boil on Israel's northern border. But a stunning victory is in the making. Vanderbilt plays Oklahoma for the National Football Championship and wins. Spontaneous street dances break out in Nashville. Thousands of people whooping and shouting plays back and forth and recollecting the final touchdown that won it. That's not even close to verse 3. The joy of an abundant harvest or a military victory where life is at stake. Burden and oppressor of verse 4 recalls the Egyptian bondage. So the blistering flame of oppression is going to be snuffed out as surely as God wiped out the Gideonites. The biting agony of war is taken away by this light of Galilee. And so this patch of real estate called Galilee, this source of destruction will become the source of deliverance. This source of ruin will become the source of restoration. Light breaks out in dark Galilee and not only engulfs Israel, it engulfs the whole world. It's a ticker tape parade, a millennial New Year's celebration. Galilee, this place of terrible loss, will become the hub of salvation for the whole earth. Galilee. And this is personal for us because it explains to us, it shows us that the Lord rises specifically upon our darkness in the worst places. In your darkness, wherever it is, he rises where you don't expect it. And you and I tend to say, yeah, but you don't know how dark it is. And I've said this before, but I love that uh, shoe comic where Skyler, the little bird uh, student, is sitting there taking a test. And he's totally stumped by a question. And he says, maybe if I search my mind, I'll find it. You know, you've done that at a test. You just think, maybe it'll come to me. Maybe it'll pop in my head. And the last frame he says, boy, it sure is dark in there. (laughs) So that's you and me. You just don't know how dark it is in there. You don't know the dark thoughts, the dark motives, the dark desires, the enslavement of my life. And so we find ourselves arguing that I'm so dark, the light wouldn't come to me. And that's kind of arguing backwards, right? Where does the new light go? Where there isn't any light? Where do you put a new light bulb in? Where are the light bulbs out, right? This season, I put up Christmas lights on the outside and the inside, and they're the bigger bulbs both in and out, and I replaced dozens of bulbs. I put a light bulb where there wasn't a light bulb. That's what you do. Light where there isn't Light. And God shines his light into the darkest places and darkest lives, the darkest places in your life, the saddest places, the most broken, the most hopeless and desperate. That's the whole point. Like a guy saying, but you don't realize how thirsty I That's why I'm giving you. You don't realize how hungry I That's why I'm giving you food. You don't realize how poor I That's why I'm giving you money. You don't realize how sick I am. That's why I'm here to heal you. Don't argue from your sickness and sin, your brokenness. That's the very reason he would come to you. The very reason he's prepared himself for you. The very reason he died to, to, to invade and engulf with light your darkness. He died in our place. And he's not starting from scratch, really, with us. You think he's kind of starting from scratch. Less than that, he's starting with something like ground zero in 9-11. That's what he starts with. In every case, that's what he starts with. He starts with us deeply in the negative, And it doesn't matter how blown apart our lives may be. And every one of ours, by nature, spiritually, is blown apart. His light shines in that darkness. And so He died in our place to bear off the punishment for our sins, which we will surely bear one day if He does not die for us. Peter says, very specifically, He bore our sins in His body on the cross. There you have it. He takes from you the darkness of guilt and judgment... And death, both final physical death and ultimate spiritual eternal death. And he brings you into the light of complete forgiveness forever, where there's no condemnation ever for you if you trust in Christ Jesus. He suffered. The righteous in the place of the unrighteous, Peter says, to bring us to God. So Christ takes you from the dark separation from God to the light of the very presence of God. The permanent embrace of God. The steadfast love of God that will never leave you or forsake you. Light shining in the darkness. So you can be hidden in Christ's glory before God. When you take Him as your refuge, His relations with the Father become your relations with the Father. His acceptance before the Father becomes your acceptance before the Father. And so then, the full light of God's favor, unmixed favor, only favor, always favor, will rest upon you. His glory will appear upon you, the glory of his kind embrace. And so he bears off punishment. He brings us into the presence of God. And then he rises on the darkness of your sinful habits and tendencies. On all the darkness of character that you and I know clouds our hearts. He rises on the darkness of relational alienation. The pain and loss to bring self-awareness and humility and joyful servanthood and peace, and on your part at least the heart of reconciliation. He is indeed this Prince of Peace—peace peace with God, peace with each other, peace finally in the last verse with the restored earth, peace and sh- peace and shalom forever and ever before this. God and how so how can he do all of these things well it's all centered the source of all this is a person right it's a child it's a son he'll be of David's royal line we see here and the names describing him Tell you what kind of king he is. It announces who he is. You see, this is an enthronement passage. And these are his throne names. This is what you can expect from this king. This is the kind of king he is. These are his names given to him uh, on the throne. He is the mighty God. His kingdom is forever His rule is highly effective. He always gets the job done. He brings light to the deepest darkness because nothing can stop him from doing it. You think of Midian, 150,000 strong against Israel that that was 32,000. So not great odds, but God didn't like those odds. And instead of increasing the Israelites, he reduced them to 10,000, as you know. 10,000 versus 150,000. He still didn't like the numbers, so he reduced it to 300 versus 150,000. 500 to 1. 300 to 150,000. 300 plus God to 150,000. No contest. It was over 2 minutes and 43 seconds of the first round. Midian was down. That's the mighty God. And that's the mighty God who is for you. He's for me. We had a friend who was in the singles group at Park Cities in Dallas who had a repelling accident and crushed his feet. I was told, there's no way that you will ever walk. A world-renowned orthopedic surgeon who specializes in feet took him under care, and through his fantastic skill, he not only walked, but he ran again. It's a comfort to know that when you bring to God a human worst-case scenario, He will delight to get His hands on you, His greatness. Bring to Him a failing piece of humanity, and He can totally turn the program around. And that power, the mighty God, is joined to love because it says He's the everlasting Father. He's not like many earthly fathers. He's not selfish or unhappy or ingrown or neglectful or hard-hearted or foolish or wasteful or impatient or mocking or critical or mean or harsh or bitter. He's a gracious and tender and kind Father. And He's always that way, only that way. The everlasting Father It shows His compassion. Where Jesus says, In Matthew 23, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not. The grace and mercy of this mighty God. You see it also in the last phrase, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. His zeal is his profound desire to do us good. His love is fierce. It will not give up. It will not turn away. Imagine a woman who bears the scars from rescuing her child from a fire. Behold forever the scars of Jesus. The sign of His zeal for you. His zeal to do you good. He would stop at nothing. And purposely forever bears the scars of His sacrifice That crushed him and ruined him as he bore the full onslaught of the wrath of God. He is like a veteran, in a sense, scarred forever. Because he did go to war for you and for me. And it was all for us. It was his zeal. And he's the wonderful counselor God's wonderful works are described again and again in the Psalms. Wonderful means that it stretches the mind. It's like catching a sailfish with a cane pole. It's just like, it couldn't have happened. How could it have happened? And this is what God does. He he brings about change in us where we didn't think there could be change. He, He brings about a resilience where we just couldn't have imagined we could be resilient. He brings about love in the most trying of circumstances where we couldn't have imagined that we could love in those circumstances. Couldn't have imagine that we would suddenly have the capacity to give ourselves away. He's a marvel of a counselor, it means. A supernatural counselor. Off the charts counselor. That's what it means. He leaves your mouth hanging open at His extraordinary wisdom. And so that is the one who governs every event in the world, in the church, and in your personal life. And so he, in in your terrible loss and devastating upheavals where everything seems to be shattered to pieces, he is the wonderful counselor. And if you could see it, your mouth would hang open. Brilliant, astounding, perfect in what he's doing in your life. He's a wonderful counselor, and He's for you in His wisdom. When Jesus was transfigured and shone forth glorious light in the presence of the disciples on the mountain, there was one word of instruction from God who appeared in the glory cloud, and it was, Hear Him. And I want to encourage you, hear this wonderful counselor. Wonderful in his counsel and rule in your life and wonderful in his counsel and his word that he gives to you. Don't forfeit the incomprehensible, wonderful, life-engaging, life-changing, life-restructuring, life-healing wisdom of the mighty counselor in his word for you this year. You see, if you do that... If you neglect that, then you would be turning away from this gracious son that was born for you as the wonderful counselor. And so, this son, again, is born for us. He's born for you. All of these names announce his greatness. Each of these names is given for you as a way to take hold of him and believe him and treasure him and depend upon him. He gives you these names to say, he, this one, the one I'm just... He's for you. A son is born for us, for your benefit, for your rescue, for your light, for your liberation, for your transformation, for your everlasting happiness. He's born for you. And if you were considering the claims of Christ, maybe you're not a believer yet. Don't turn this one away. This son born for you, offered to you to have all of these benefits for you, for his light to shine into your darkness, as it has so many here. Jesus said, I've come into the world as light. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. May you not remain in darkness during this season. Let us pray. O Lord, we rejoice in you, our great God and King, who would give yourself so freely in the person of your own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice, O Lord, that you so love the world. That you gave your son. And Lord that you. So loved us. In that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Lord may all the more. We treasure you. In all of these ways. And and take these names. And lay hold of you. And rejoice in you. And give ourselves up to you. May we know something. Of this glittering joy. This ticker tape parade. As it creases our lives as it colors us and gives us an aroma of hope and expectation that all of this will finally issue in your second coming, your second advent, that, Lord, this first coming is just a token of that final coming when all things will be made new, when indeed peace will reign over the earth. Indeed, all war will cease. Indeed, shalom will be the definition of our lives. When the misery of the curse is gone, O Lord, give us that hope, even as we taste more and more of that kingdom in the person of Christ now. Bless us, Lord, to live in faith and hope and love. Amen.